In this episode of Ignite and Scale, we're thrilled to feature Doug Lawson, the founder of Mark to Market, a pivotal figure in the realm of private company valuations. Doug's transition from a seasoned professional to an entrepreneurial leader has been marked by a keen focus on leveraging data to demystify the valuation process and access intelligence on small private businesses. As we navigate through the complexities and nuances of valuations in today's rapidly evolving markets, we aim to uncover the insights and strategies that propelled Mark to Market to the forefront of this field. Doug, good morning. Really to, to kick things off, transitioning from your previous role into founding Mark to Market must have been a significant leap. Can you share what sparked this shift and how your background has shaped your approach to valuations? Yeah, sure. So as you uh, as as you alluded to, I used to, you know, I got to know you when I was working as a fund manager, and I, I was I was at a, a place called Amasi, which which I'd set up with Paul Jordan in uh, two thousand nine. Or so, so we'd we'd spun ourselves out of another organisation uh, to set up a, a, a boutique that specialised in smaller companies, and um, we we uh, that that sort of so that that was a oh there uh, that was sort of a seven year um, uh, period for me when we we grew that business from uh, it wasn't actually a standing start it was it was a um, we t- we took a bit of money with us, so we, so we so we had a we had an income stream. It wasn't a very big income stream, but when we started, we had we had a wee bit of an income stream, and that allowed us to to get going. And therefore, well, it did feel quite it did feel quite risky at the time because we weren't sure whether we'd be able to pay ourselves initially or not. And um, but we the the timing of that was actually really good because. The markets when we were doing the deal, markets were on their knees, and especially you'll you'll remember, Mike, smaller company, smaller companies were really really beaten up, um, and then and then when it turned, it turned really hard, and um, we had that amazing rally in smaller company in the, the the amazing rally in the markets and smaller companies were the, sort of the biggest beneficiaries of it, <laughs> and um, that was great because our suddenly that that small pot of funds that we took with us grew very fast and then allowed us to allowed us to um attract some inflows and then we took on we were lucky enough to be given another mandate a, a venture capital trust uh, uh mandate which sort of transformed us at that point in time um and I, I'm really grateful to the the board of that VCT for giving us that because that made a huge difference to us. And then we grew from there. And 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 uh, y- yeah, it, it's a case in fund management. Obviously, you, you, it's quite it's ad- it, it's pretty difficult when you're small because nobody wants to give you you know everybody or m- most of the asset allocators that you know they have their minimums and they have their they say oh you're too small. And I always used to think well that means we can buy anything. And not only that, we own the business, and all our personal capital is invested in, in the funds and the business. So I mean, you you cannot get more aligned than that. Um, but from a risk perspective, they didn't they didn't really like that. So you, you had to find the 
intermediaries that were willing to place, you know, to, to take really small bets and and to uh, uh, which would allow you to go to the next level and go to the next stage of intermediaries that could you know you cross their thresholds and so on and 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 so forth um so that allowed us to grow and then in in 2000 and in um 2000 and um uh, uh 16 we sold half just under half of the business um and um and I obviously stayed on after that, but but after a while, I had a, I had this sort of uh, burning desire to um, to start mark to market, and and really, that had come from uh, a career of of analysing small companies, and before that, uh, doing some um, before that working in M and A for a while, and really, quite enjoying, un- trying to understand the sort of. Um, uh, sort of uh, modeling aspect and and trying to um, really get underneath the bonnet and understand the drivers of value in different companies and yeah I mean you'll you know this better than most Mike when it comes to a lot of the businesses we were investing in laterally uh, well at Amasi were were, were 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 public companies but really small public companies with with very limited uh, coverage um, some had no coverage at all, and those are the ones I really liked because, because you know, if you spend time analyzing those companies, that that's where you can you can um, you know you, you you might find a pricing anomaly there on the upside or the downside. Uh, but those are the ones I found really interesting, and I so I I probably spent a lot of my my time when I was analyzing stocks do, doing that kind of stuff, and and. Um, and of course, there are lots of data platforms out there that help you analyze uh, businesses, but they're all, um, they all have this gap at the smaller end of the market. And they have this gap at the smaller end of the market because data on, on the smaller the company is, the harder it is to find data on it uh, because it's not surfaced in the same way as data on large companies or public companies is surfaced. and. What I um, uh, did quite a lot of was was getting you know finding an interesting data point on you know page fifty two of the accounts and then in another document finding another interesting data point buried away somewhere and you start piecing it all together and it tells a story and I guess that the the sort of hypothesis behind mark to market was if you could do that in a systematic way you would be building a very valuable data set for anybody that was interested in investing in or advising in the small uh, private company environment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Doug, I remember your journey well at Marty, and I think you've, you, you, you're very modest, really, in terms of how you built the business because you were building a business whilst you were performing very, very well as well. Um, and, and I think that was because you had an edge on the market and you looked at things differently. And then when I see your journey in going into mark to market, when we looked at all the systems when we started the fund as well, and I think, you know, it really brought together private and public uh, valuations very well, your system. Um, but and, and I find the the insights and the data that's provided by your platform is is really valuable to me as well. But 
Could you discuss a particular challenge or learning curve you've encountered in in in, in developing the platform at Mark to Market? Because I'm I'm sure it wasn't plain sailing as any you know developing any business isn't. Yes, and and sort of. I probably made it sound like that, you know, the, the, the original vision is what has sort of transpired now. And I'm, you know, and that's not the case. And, and you know, I'm, we're, and also I think it's important for me to say we're not the finished article now. You know, we're still on um, that, to, to use an overused expression, we're still on that, that um, journey now. But, but yeah, there were, there were a lot of challenges at the start. And I think that, um, Again, I, I hope it, it doesn't get boring when I sort of, you know, used Amasi as a reference point. But y- you can, with Amasi, we knew, uh, you know, we knew instantly we had a, um, a product, if you like. You know, you've, you've, you've got a fund and you've got investors in that fund. And so you have a, uh, a product that is generating income for you. Um, so that, 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 you know, that um, obviously de-risks things um, uh, a lot. Uh, with, with software... Um, you, you don't really know if anyone's going to buy it until you build it. And in order to build it, you have to invest a lot of time and quite a lot of capital. And I think that I always think about some people call our uh, niche data as a service rather than software as a service because actually our product is the data and it's being delivered via uh, software. But really, it's it's the data. Um, and And... So we and obviously you know w- w- with with a SaaS company, I mean the the sort of barriers and the, and the cost to building a SaaS product have have been coming coming down, which is which is great. So you can get something to market faster, but with a data product, you can't sort of you can't sell something saying, look, the you know we just started collecting data today, um, uh, you know, and and the database will grow over time. But you know, do you want to have a go now? Because people just say, well, no, it's. There's no value in that today because you've only got a day's worth of data. We need years of data so we can properly analyze stuff and we can look at trends and things like that. So, so, so we we so we had to do a lot of that stuff. And I think that the uh, the the other thing that I sort of wondered at the beginning, before I got together uh, with my um, the guy who I run the business with that I, I uh, co-founded it with. Um, he challenged me pretty hard on. I, I actually thought at the beginning there might be a retail market for the product. So, you know, there, there's a lot more interest, uh, retail interest in private. You know, and at the time there was a lot of uh, crowdfunding was booming and all that kind of stuff. But but actually we pretty quickly realised that getting um, and there was there was there was a bit of a read across for this that we were keeping our eye on. We very quickly realised that actually getting retail investors to subscribe, to commit contractually to paying a monthly fee or an annual fee for something is just really, really difficult. You know, it's it's B to C and it's it's so hard. And I, I get, you know, we're all we're all re, we're all consumers and we all know um, how the hurdles are personally for signing up to some kind of, you know, commitment like that. Um, so we pretty quickly realized that actually this is not a retail product. This is this is a B2B product. And um, that's the market we need to go after. And and therefore, we actually need to displace rather than selling something, um, uh, ra- rather than entering a market where people aren't using anything, we're entering a market where people, some people, some customers were, were not using anything. Um, a lot of customers were using 
um, one of the legacy um, uh, one of the legacy products. And um, so we eventually we got we got something we got something to market, and and inevitably it wasn't you know, and again I'm so grateful to those um, uh, early customers and. Um, uh, but it wasn't the finished article. It wasn't perfect. But but those earliest customers are still customers now. So they they saw enough. You know, it's like the classic early adopter stuff, and they, they saw enough value in it to pay us something for it. And um, they've they've seen those they've seen the product change and those improvements being made over time. And and initially the product was very focused around val valuation tool. So um, the, the the initial product was um, really giving, it was a database of deal multiples for small transactions. So so the, the kind of sales pitch was, look, these are multiples you're not getting from any of the other platforms because we're collecting it at the smaller end of the market. And that means if, if you are accustomed to advising small, you know, if you're a sell side advisor and you're selling a 5 million revenue engineering business, um, in order to um, uh, guide your client on the valuation of that business, you need you need comparable transactions of other five million pound, two million pound, ten million pound engineering businesses, not Wood Group or uh, you know massive billion dollar engineering businesses. So 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 that was great. So so the the customers went for that, and and that was fantastic. But but what we realised was the other platforms that we were. Um, uh, that we were competing against, they were offering lots of other data sets alongside. So uh, they were offering a lo lots of other data sets alongside their deal multiples data set that were giving kind of um, additional value to the customer. So what the customer was sometimes saying was, okay, you're doing a far better job for us in terms of providing in, uh, relevant intelligence on deal multiples, but this other platform that we have, it's helping us build buyer lists, it's helping us do origination work, it's helping us do market mapping, it's helping us find acquisition targets for our clients, it's, help, you know, it's helping us do all these other things, and you're just doing one thing, and we're a small business, and we have budget, uh, you know, for some of them, it was a case of our budget stretches to um, uh, uh, one platform, and this other platform is solving all of these other problems. You're solving one problem really well, but it's only one of our problems, and we can't have two. So, so that made us realize that actually we had from being a, and you know, our, our, our limited company is called Mark to Market Valuations Limited, uh, because that's what we thought we would be. Uh, but actually, whilst that's the core product, we, we had to expand the data sets. We had to build more data sets in order to solve these other problems for the customers so that they could then get to a point where they could say, okay, now we can exit our incumbent provider because you're solving all of these, these use cases for us. Um, and so that, you know, that was one chart was actually, I don't, I, I don't think you'd call that a pivot, but you'd call it, you know, I, I don't know what you'd call it, but, but you'd, you'd clearly call it like platform expansion and it was going from solving one problem really well to recognizing that actually for these customers, they had three or four problems and you've, you've kind of got to solve all of them um, to have proper product market fit with them. Yeah, 
I mean, I find that the product is, is, is really good on valuation and comparatives with, um, with private companies, small private companies, which I now look at, but also it gives you very good insights. You've got a marketplace of transactions and, and it allows me to, um, develop pipelines and keep, keep, keep that in one place where I can keep an eye on valuation trends as well. So, for me, it's not just about the kind of valuation data. There's other applications. But if we, we you know, reflect on the data and some of the trends that are coming out of the, the, the platform at the moment, how would you interpret these trends post-pandemic and maybe the impact it might have on future valuations? And I know the data is pretty granular in terms of regional variations yeah. as well, which I find really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It, 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 what, what we try, uh, so as well as obviously publishing all of the, um, the granular data on the platform, we produce for customers the, you know, in, uh, we call them indices. And it's, it's really what these indices do is track um, how multiples are trending, how do you, how valuations are trending across different uh, sectors. And the other really important thing is across, uh, I think, is across different size bands. And, um, you know, because, because what you, the multiple that is paid for, you've got two companies doing the same thing, but you would expect all other things being equal. The company that's doing 100 million of revenue would attract a higher multiple than the company doing 2 million of revenue. So, we, we we produce indices that kind of um, show show that and allow people to, you know, if you want, you could say, well, here's a perfect comp, but it's 100 million. And if I point to the mark to market indices, I can see what the class, what the um, the current discount is from a business of that size to a business of this size. So um, and the reason we get that insight, Mike, is because not only do we um, are we collecting all that our analysts here collecting all of that information but we're also asking our customers um uh to to submit kind of live if you like recently completed deal information um and so we can put all that information into the right into the right buckets and we we can see how things are trending in real time and you know the the holy grail is trying to get to a point where you have the kind of valuation insight on the private markets that you do on the public markets, which is, you know, daily pricing, allowing you to, um, uh, you know, allowing you to, to see trends in, in, in real time. We're not quite there yet, but we're trying to, we're, we're trying really hard to bridge that, bridge that gap. And so in terms of the sort of trends we're seeing, so, um, what, what's, what I think is quite interesting is you, you obviously have this situation where, with private markets, you know, you don't have the daily pricing, and um, you you um, you you don't have uh, you know people perceive there to be um, less volatility, and I'm not sure there is really. It's just it's not visible because you're not pricing things on a daily basis. I don't think that necessarily means that um, you know that private company valuations are less volatile. It's just yeah, you don't have this. Um, daily look through to to uh, to see that, and um, and so w what happens is if you look at um, if you look at the market and and I'll I'll define the market for the purposes of this discussion as um, uh, our, we have something called the, the mark to market all cap index which is sub two hundred multiples 
from of uh, sub two hundred and fifty million pound enterprise value uh, deals involving a UK entity. So it could be UK company acquiring UK UK company acquiring international or an international company acquiring UK business. So there's some some kind of UK stamp on it. And if you look pre twenty twenty, if you look at that data for the year as a whole, the um, that index has kind of tracked sideways amazingly. Um, now, if you start to look into the quarters, you start to see the volatility. But it's quite interesting when you put everything into the buckets for the years and you look at the all cap index, it's kind of trading sideways and it's been trading just under eight, a median EBITDA multiple of just under eight times. And that's, that's everything under 250 million. So clearly you've got your nuances within there. And I'll talk about those in a wee bit. But what, what, what you've then got is in 2022, that multiple started to contract and it's continued to contract into 2023. And what is, uh, th where you can see a pretty strong correlation is the, uh, between the uh, multiple contraction and the increase in interest rates. So if you look into the quarters, it was really Q, uh, Q2 2022 where you started to see those, um, those multiples start to contract. And the impact seemed to be um, particularly uh, acute uh, with sectors that are associated with high growth, you know, like uh, technology is the obvious one. And technology, you know, we define technology as tech, hardware, SaaS, and um, IT services. And, and, you know, within that, you've got a big bunch of SaaS companies, um, fast growth, and therefore those future earnings are being discounted. But, you know, that, that um, uh, you, know, you're, you're, you know, if you want to think about it as, a, as a, uh, uh, the, the future cash flows, those, those fast growing future cash flows are being discounted back at a higher interest rate. And it's having a, that, that kind of disproportionate um, impact on the, present, on the present value of those, of those companies. So it sort of makes sense that um, multiples in the private markets from the middle of the middle of 2022 have been um, have been starting to, to contract um, and then when you start looking and then when you start looking again you look under the bonnet and you go, okay well that's the market as a whole um, what about like small companies v big companies or um, the the TMT sector versus the industrial sector stuff like that and that's where you start to see some really interesting stuff I think so um, what does appear, you know, when we talk about volat, you know, this idea there isn't so much volatility in the in in pricing in the private markets. What does seem the, the, the less volatile is down at the bottom end of the market. So we have we call it our nano cap index, and these are deals that this is where we collect multiples on deals valued at less than two and a half million quid. So the tiniest deals, and what's really and that that like trades like. Ugh, four, you know, median multiple four, four and a half times, something like that. Um, and and what's really interesting there is you, you don't, you, you see very little, you, you see much less movement in multiples in, in that area of the market than you do in, say, our mid-cap index, what we define as the mark-to-market mid-cap index, which is 50 to 250 million pound uh, deals. And I think that the dynamics at that smaller end of the market are just really quite different. You know, these are predominantly owner-managed businesses 
and the the um the the decision you know the 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 considerations for kind of exiting or selling or whatever are probably quite different to the larger end of the market or you know where pe gets involved where people are thinking about kind of more about the macro factors at that smaller end of the market it's it's kind of micro stuff it's like oh i'm you know i need to retire I, i'm knackered um I, you know i, I want a break I, I need to liquidate i need some cash it's that kind of stuff whereas as you get higher up the market different really different dynamics are at play and 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 also i guess down at that very small end of the market there there's less private you know i know there's there's more money coming into that end of the market, you know, with search funds and things like that. But there's still, it's not the, uh, it's not, you know, it's like, I sometimes think about that kind of 50 to 250 million pound market. That's like, um, you know, it's almost like stock picking. Uh, you know, if you're a small cap manager, it's like, you know, you've got a universe of companies that probably all of the lower mid to mid market PE firms, they all really know those who those companies are. And it's about you know you, you pick the one the pick you pick the ones you like best for your portfolio, and um, that that's where you see we've seen a more material compression of multiples because you know in that market it's, there's obviously more dependence on um, uh, on debt um, to get the returns and obviously the the affordability has um, uh, the affordability has been transformed by the increase in um, in interest rates, um, you know, you have other sentiment issues and so on and so forth. So, so you know, as the as the you know as, as you move up our indices to the mid cap index, you've actually seen this sort of, you know, funnily enough, you've seen this 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 greater drop off in multiples in percentage terms. Although obviously buyers are paying higher multiples for for uh, businesses up there. Um, and then, so so that's kind of that's kind of the 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 M and A um, uh, landscape. And and then when you look at um, you know a wee bit more into your world, Mike. You know when you look at kind of earlier stage stuff. When you look at the the um, startup scale up landscape. So companies raising um, uh, venture and growth capital. Um, again, the 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 valuations there. We again we we produce indices and we split that market up into the sub-indices so we have a pre-seed index and a seed index and a series A index and so on and so forth. The the pre-money valuations being paid at pre-seed and seed stage have remained reasonably consistent. Um, at series A stage they've come off um, and at series B stage they've come off materially. So it's it's almost like the the, the larger the raise, the larger the business um, the 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 greater the pressure on pre-money valuations there, and I think it's probably my theory is that um, is that if you've got you know if you've got a pre-seed or a seed business, you might have no re it might be pre-revenue, or the revenues might be very early, very embryonic, and therefore valuing the business on fundamentals is 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 very tricky yeah you can do your cash flow but it's so speculative and you can't really say oh that's a revenue multiple of 10 because there's nothing to hang your hat on so i think in that market it's like well how much money are you raising i'm raising a million 
right, well, that we, that we take 20% at this stage. So your pre-money is four and your post-money is five. Uh, and that, that it's like, you, you know what it's like? It's like you don't want to, you know, you want to, from having been on both sides of this, I now recognize that as an investor, you, you, don't, you don't want to be too savage there because if that company then needs to raise five, another five and 10 and so on, you know, you, you want the founders to be left with enough to be incentivized. So you, you don't want to say, oh, the markets are crap. So I'll give you one, but I'm taking 90% because it just kills the whole thing. So however, it doesn't work. H however, once you get up to like series A, series B, you probably do have with most companies, certainly in SaaS, you're going to have uh, a relatively material number to apply a multiple, not probably not at EBITDA level, but at revenue level, you're probably going to have a number to, to pin a multiple to. And, and therefore, you're probably going to say, well, look, multiples two years ago for Series A SaaS company with your growth characteristics and your TAM and all that kind of stuff, it was 10, let's just say. Um, and I'm sorry, now it's six. So um, that's your ARR. Um, your your pre-money is is six times that, and and therefore that's I think why you've been why you've seen that greater um, pressure on valuations for later stage raises relative to the the the. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah, and I think I, I think there's a lot more co-investment as well, and there's a lot more dynamics on Series B. There's it it, it might be five or six investors have to get together and. To get the deal done, there might be someone. It will always go at the lower price, um, so it's it's just a lot more complex. Whereas I guess early stage investors, it is. Do you believe in the concept? Can you work with them to a certain point? And all businesses at a particular point in time need a certain amount of capital to to realise some of that ambition. So, um, Doug, it's been it's been fascinating, and I could talk to you all day about these trends and the 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 data that's coming out of your platform is is I use it on a daily basis. It's it's hugely valuable uh, for me. Um, I mean, if anybody's interested in looking at your product, um, how would they get in touch with yourself or the team? Um, yeah, probably the best way is to get in touch with me uh, personally. You know, we're uh, we're. 30 odd people but I'm uh, you know really I love talking to people in this market it's one of the things that um, I love about the business is speaking to investors advisors down here so get in touch with me Doug at mark to market io Mike you'll give them you'll 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 um, you'll pass them on I am I'm, I'm sure and yeah, just chatting Absolutely. to me in the first instance. Absolutely. Love to hear about what you're up to. See if we can, see if we can help. And yeah, as you know, Mike, it's a pretty, um, it's a bit of a fragmented community down here, and and it's quite nice to join the dots sometimes. And and um, you know, we we as 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 well as doing the uh, as well as obviously the core business of the 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 platform. We do lots of events as well. So even if you're not if you're not buying, if you want to come along to our events, we do those region. We're based in Edinburgh, but we do them all over the place. Um, then we can get you on the list for those events as well. Very good. Well, I appreciate your time as always, Doug, and um, thank you very much for coming on. 
Thank you so much, Mike. Really enjoyed it. If you want to listen to more episodes of the podcast, we're on all good audio platforms. Our website is also www.cambriaprivatecapital.com. And you can also find myself on LinkedIn and Twitter, where we publish our weekly blogs as well. Please do get in touch if you want more information.